Take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Now, for those of you that may not be all that familiar with the Bible, if you were just about cut it in half, and uh, you'd probably be at about uh, maybe Psalms. If you find the book of Psalms, turn to a book to the right, that's Proverbs. One more book to the right, you get to Ecclesiastes, okay? And that's where we're going to be looking at today. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, all the verses will be on the jumbotrons or they're inside your program and the notes that we give you. And if you don't own a Bible, all you gotta do is go into the altar room here or over in the venue and we'll give you a Bible. We wanna put the word of God in your hands so that you can read it on your own. Today we're gonna begin a a short four-week series where we're gonna be looking at uh, some of the chapters in Ecclesiastes. I was uh, thinking about summers in the life of a church family. And you can look around and hear over in the venue and you can see that during the summer months, attendance tends to go down. Not just here, but literally any church. Attendance goes down. Attendance goes down in men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies. Attendance goes down in home groups, all of those kinds of things. It's, it's a little bit like um, in the summer, people take a vacation from, from church. Or they take a vacation from their men's Bible study or their women's Bible study. They take a vacation maybe from just reading the scriptures, in fact, What's interesting is oftentimes when school starts back up at the end of August or beginning of September, I often hear people who say, you know, now, now that the school year's starting up, I'm going to get back into my Bible reading now. I'm going to get back into my, my routine of church or whatever all those, those things might be. And it was uh, my goal, my prayer, that somehow as we kind of break out of our John series and just take four weeks to look at some of the thoughts we find in Ecclesiastes that it would be a great encouragement to all of us to not take a vacation from church or take a vacation from our Bible studies or take a vacation from reading the scriptures or whatever all those things may be, that we would see the importance of of always being in the word, always being involved in Bible studies, always being involved in the, the, the reading of our, our, our scriptures. Now, before I read our, our text, Ecclesiastes chapter one, let, let me tell you a little bit about the book of Ecclesiastes. A lot of people don't, don't like the book. There are some people who think, man, that book doesn't even belong in the Bible. I can tell you it belongs in the Bible. I can tell you that this is God's word for all of us. Ecclesiastes really is just loaded with a lot of really really great information for all of us uh, to, to, to learn from. Solomon was the man who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He was the, the king of Israel at the time that he, he wrote this book. He became the king of Israel after his father, David, King David died. So King David dies and then Solomon became the, the king. His mother was kind of famous. His mother was Bathsheba. Some of you remember the story of David and Bathsheba. Well, they have a child, and that child was Solomon. I want you to imagine, if you will, growing up in King David's house. 
I want you to imagine, if you can, that you're a kid running around the palace and David is your father. King David is your, is your dad. David was a, a, a great warrior. He, he, uh, he, he, would, uh, he was kind of the Rambo of his day. He would have had no problem uh, being a part of SEAL Team 6. He was a warrior. I'm sure Solomon, when he was little, probably would see his dad around the palace and maybe he would see his big sword and maybe there would even be blood left on it. Maybe he would see his sword and he'd come home from a battle and there'd be chinks out of his sword knowing that dad was in a war. Maybe he saw dad's shield and he noticed there were big gouges taken out of it where maybe, you know, his dad was blocking, you know, somebody from chopping his head off or maybe there were holes in it where maybe an arrow maybe, you know, stuck in it. Imagine being a kid and here's this incredible warrior who's your dad. David was also a great leader. He wasn't just a great warrior. This guy was an off-the-chart leader. He, he could have not only been on SEAL Team 6, he could have ran SEAL Team 6. I mean, he was an incredible leader. And Solomon's growing up watching his father, this great warrior, this great leader. David was also a great hero. Unbelievable hero. This young boy knew that, man, not only is my dad a warrior, not only is my, my dad a, a leader, but he's a, he's a hero. David had great faith. Little Solomon had to, had to see his dad and his faith. I mean, I mean, David, just a man of great faith. David was, also had a, a great love for God. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. So here's this little boy, imagine it's you. And you're growing up in this home and man, here's this great warrior. Here's this incredible leader, this man of great faith, this hero. But he also, man, my, my dad, has a great love for God. But David was also a great sinner. He loved being with women, lots and lots of women. He had a, a very sinful sexual appetite, if I could put it that way. And so not only did young Solomon see this great warrior, see this incredible man of faith, this great leader, this man who loved God deeply, but he also grew up in a home of a man who was also a, a great sinner. And as I was kind of thinking about this piece of the message this week, I, I couldn't help but think about my own life. That... Uh, my, my, my kids are watching me. Hey, dads, your, your boys are watching you. Your boys are like little Solomons in your home. And you're, you're like King David to, to them. They're watching you. They're learning things from, from you. Anyway, I couldn't help but just 
Imagine what it must have been like to grow up as David, as your, your, your father. And in many ways, Solomon grew up to be just like his dad. Just, just like our boys' dads, they, they kind of grew up to be like us. And in many cases, that's fantastic, isn't it? I know a lot of you, and I think, man, oh man, it, it, what a fantastic thing to have a, 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 a dad like that. Some of you remember Harry Chapin's great song, The Cats in the Cradle, which is all about a boy growing up to be just like his dad, right? The cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, a little boy blue and a man on the moon. My boy was just like me. That's the story of Solomon and David. Um, that's the story of you, Dad, and your boy too. And, and, and moms, you know, don't, don't miss what I'm saying here, okay? Solomon grew up to be just like his dad. Solomon was a great leader. Unbelievable leader. Solomon was a great hero. Solomon had, had great faith, just like his dad had. Solomon had a great love for God, just, just like his old man had. He, he was just like his dad in so many areas. In fact, Solomon was also a great sinner, Amen. just like his father. In fact, the Bible tells us that Solomon had over 700 wives, over 300 concubines. He grew up to be like his dad. I don't, man, I, I, got, I got trouble just tracking one anniversary date. You know, I mean, I, <laughs> I got like 27 friends who, you know, text me, you know, leading up to the, okay, you got a month, you got three weeks, you're down to a month. <laughs> okay, so, wow, I don't know how this guy tracked it all, man. 1 Kings chapter 3 gives us uh, some interesting data about Solomon. It says this, this is Solomon speaking. He says, now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. He's praying, Solomon's praying. Hey, God, man, I'm now the king, but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people that you've chosen, a great people, too, too numerous to count. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. In other words, Solomon's saying, God, I'm the king now, but I, I don't got a clue. Can you give me some, some, some wisdom? That's what he's asking for. Now he doesn't ask for spiritual insight. He asked for wisdom, and there's a difference between the two. Goes on and says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Solomon, since you've asked for this and not for a long life or, or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never, never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be anybody like you. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among other kings. 
So Solomon says, God, I need some wisdom to govern them people. I'm the king now. I'm young. I, I, don't, man, I, I, I don't get it. Help me. And God says, wow, you know what? I'm going to give you wisdom. In fact, you're going to have so much wisdom, there won't be anybody on the planet at that time or ever in the future who will be as wise as you. And not only that, because you didn't ask for the winning lottery tickets, you know, numbers, I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. I'm going to make you wealthy beyond your imagination. Beloved, Solomon's wealth was beyond comprehension and his wisdom was without equal. Now, with all this wisdom that God had given, him, you know, given Solomon, he, he still struggled with the flesh. As I said, he had over 700 wives and, and he knew this was wrong. He, he, he knew what God's word said. He knew that marriage was between one man, one woman. He, he knew that. But he was much like his father. And so he made a choice. God, I don't care what you say about this. I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to let your will dictate to me how I'm going to live. I'm going to be the CEO of my life, God, at least as it relates to this. And so he blows God off and he sins horribly with all of these wives and concubines. And he paid a huge price for it, huge price for it. Lonnie and I were talking this past week and man, if he would have just honored the Lord with his life, he may have lived 100 to be 100 or maybe, maybe 200 years old. Who knows how long he would have lived. God, I think, was willing to blow Solomon's mind if he had just followed the Lord, but he chose not to in so many areas of his life. So with all this said, let, let, let me uh, read our text for today, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter one. Let's read what the wisest man that ever lived and ever will live has to say, okay? Look at verse one. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all, all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south, then turns north, round and round it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run to the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all, it has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in the future generations. No one will remember what we are doing now. I, the teacher, was king of Israel and lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. 
I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun and really it is all meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. What is wrong can't be made right. What is missing can't be recovered. I said to myself, look, I'm wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. Aren't you glad you came? <laughs> so, why don't we all get up and go to our cars and have a great afternoon? <laughs> Everybody look at verse two. The wisest man that ever lived and ever will live says everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. In other words, Solomon is saying that everything in life is, is empty. Everything in life is nothing but a waste of time. Everything in life is basically a, a bummer. Is that true? Is life really a bummer? Is life really as bad as Solomon says? Is everything in life really meaningless? Hey, Solomon, we put a man on the moon. We actually put a, a, a vehicle on the moon that the guys got in and drove around on the moon. Big deal, so what? Life is full of bummers and you die, it's meaningless. Hey Solomon, we have transplanted a person's heart. We've taken a heart out of one guy and put it inside of another guy. Big deal, so what? Life's full of bummers and you die. Solomon, we, we have smartphones with technology that is, you know, more technology in those phones than they would have had on the Apollo rockets. We've got these supercomputers that can do just unbelievable things. Big deal. So what? Uh, life's a bummer, then you die. It's all meaningless. Solomon, we, we, we have airplanes that you can get in and you can fly all the way across the United States in just a few hours. We got electric cars. Big deal. So what? Life was full of bummers, then you die. Just all meaningless. Hey, Solomon, we have the freedom to cast our vote for anybody that we want. I mean, that's the, that's the kind of freedoms we have in the United States of America. Big deal, so what? Life is just full of bummers, then you die. It's all just meaningless. Hey, Solomon, we actually have the word of God. At any moment, we can open up the scriptures and we can hear the voice of God at any moment. Solomon, man, how, how unbelievable is that? Big deal. So what? Life is full of bummers and you die. It's all meaningless. I mean, think about it. Jesus himself said this in John chapter 16. Here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows. That's a promise from God, people. Years ago, when our church wasn't located here, it was located on Stanford Avenue. One summer, we handed out these, they were plastic, they looked like loaves of bread. And inside the loaf of bread was uh, like a promise. You'd, you'd pull a promise out. 
And then you would read the promise, and the whole thought was throughout the summer, you read a promise in the morning when you got up, and then that promise was there to encourage you throughout the day kind of a thing. I went through all those promises that summer, and you know what? That one was never there. Would that have been a great morning? <laughs> My promise. You know, life is full of bummers and trials and sorrows. No, that one wasn't there. But that's a promise from God nonetheless. Hey, this side of glory, it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. It doesn't matter whether you know the Lord or not. It doesn't matter you're part of God's family. Man, life is just full of trials and sorrows and bummers. Maybe, maybe Solomon's right. Maybe everything, maybe everything really is meaningless. Solomon looked at all of his wealth. He looked at all the things that he had done. He looked at his wisdom and his conclusion was it was all meaningless. I love what he says in chapter three. Solomon says this. I also thought about the human condition, how God proves to people that they are like animals. For people and animals share the same fate. Both breathe and then they die. So people have no real advantage over the animals. How meaningless. I mean, here's this guy, the wisest man that's ever lived. He's living in this unbelievable, you know, uh, uh, castle, basically. He's got all the gold and silver he could ever want. He's the wisest man that ever lived. And he's petting his dog, you know, and the dog dies. And he's thinking to himself, dude, all that dog does is itch himself. He dies. I'm just like that. All my wealth, all my wisdom gains, gains me nothing. He breathes and he dies. I'm going to breathe and then I'm going to die. It's just all meaningless. So what's going on? What's Solomon getting at? Why is Solomon so down on life? Why does it seem like, wow, really? God has something for me in all of this? Yeah. Yeah, he does. You see, the key to understanding what Solomon is getting at is found in verse 14. Okay, look at verse 14. Solomon says, I observed everything going on, and then it's these next three words, under the sun. Everybody say, under the sun. Say it again, under the sun. And really, it's all meaningless. Everything going on under the sun, man, it's like chasing the wind. And that phrase, under the sun, is found 29 times in the book. And it's the key, as I said, to unlocking what Solomon's talking about. The wisest and wealthiest and most powerful man on earth makes it his goal, basically, to experience everything that this world has to offer apart from God. He wanted to experience everything that he could under the sun or in a world apart from God. In other words, Solomon wanted to know what life was like when you left God out of the equation. In Matthew chapter 16, there's recorded for us a really powerful moment between Jesus and, and Peter that I think will help you better understand what the phrase under the sun means. The, the, in verse 21, it says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Jesus. No way. This will never happen to you. 
And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. And now it's the last phrase. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view. In other words, you're seeing things under the sun. Peter, not from God's viewpoint. And whenever you see things from a human standpoint, whenever you see things basically from a worldly standpoint, things that are under the sun and not from God's viewpoint, you're, you're going you're gonna to have trouble. So with this said, Solomon in, in, in chapter one makes three observations about life under the sun that I want to share with you, and then I got an ending comment that I think will be encouraging uh, for us all, okay? The first observation was this, is that nothing ever changes under the sun. <laughs> Look at verse four. Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then it hurries around to rise again. The winds blow south and then turn north, round and round it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Beloved, if God isn't a part of the human equation, life will seem like it never changes. People are born, and then they die. More people are born, and then they die. More people are born, then they die. Generations come, and generations go. When you simply see life from a worldly standpoint, it kind of seems that way, doesn't it? What's the point of this? People are born and then they die. People are born and then they die. And then more people are born and that just means more people die. You wake up in the morning. Alarm goes off, 6 a.m. You get out of bed. You make your way to the coffee pot. The worst thing is you forget to turn it on so it's not done. You hit the button, who's got a minute and a half to wait for that thing to percolate? <laughs> you pour yourself some coffee, you drink it, you eat your bagel, you go to work, you punch in at eight o'clock, you do your job, whatever it is, you bust your hump doing whatever it is. At noon, you get your 30 minute lunch, you eat your sandwich, you go back to work, you punch out at five o'clock. You go home, you sit down, you watch a little TV, eat a little grub, you go to bed. Six o'clock in the morning, you, ee, ee, ee. you get up, you make your way over to the coffee machine. Thank God I remembered to turn it on. I got an extra minute now before I got to go to work and I have to wait for it to you know, percolate. And then you eat your bagel, you go to work, you do whatever it is you do. You get your 30 minute lunch, you punch out at five, you go home, you sit down, you watch some TV, you eat a little bit of food, and you go to bed. This goes on and on and on and on, right? How, how Solomon said it is like this, the sun rises and then it sets. Sun rises and then it sets. That big red thing keeps coming up. Keep going down, it's weird. And it, 
And without God in the picture, it seems meaningless. It just seems like what in the world, what's the point of all this? Water uh, evaporates over the ocean, forming clouds. The clouds drop water over dry land. The water flows into the rivers. The rivers carry the water back to the oceans where it first came from. Solomon was the first person to ever write about the hydrological system. He knew about the hydrological system thousands of years before we ever figured it out. Solomon was looking at all the rivers that were running into the ocean and he went and never got full. Oh, I know why. Because clouds, then the clouds come over dry land and then the clouds release their water and that water goes into the river and it goes into the ocean and then there's clouds and then the clouds come over the dry land and then the dry, the water and then the river and the thing and then the clouds and it's like, what? Wow, this is just unbelievable. Just crazy. Just this whole cycle that just goes on. From a worldly perspective, Solomon says, life's a bummer. It's meaningless. It has no purpose. What's the point of it all? The great apostle Paul, he weighs in with these words. He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, therefore, my dear brothers, my dear sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Always keep your mind above, you know, earthly things because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know that your life is not meaningless. You know that what you do has great purpose. You see, we as believers can fall into the Solomon trap. We're all of a sudden, you know, we know Christ is our savior, but you know what? It's, oh, everything's meaningless, you know. Rick, you, you really got to, I understand your, your, your work's not in vain. My work, you know, I'm just a mechanic. I, I'm just an attorney. I'm just a real estate agent. I'm just somebody who makes sure my home stays nice. I'm just somebody who raises the kids, man. I'm just, I, I just pump gas, man. Let me tell you something. If that's the way you think, then you've fallen into this Solomon trap here. Because you were created in the very image of God. You are a sacred being. And Jesus Christ redeemed your life from the pit. He put his Holy Spirit in you. And when you understand that, when you truly understand that, and you've got your mind up here, you will understand that whether you're pumping gas, you're fixing a car, you're trying a case, you're driving a truck down the 99, you're selling clothes out at Macy's, or you're ironing clothes at home. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're doing it for the Lord's sake, let me tell you something. It has purpose. It has meaning behind it. For whatever reason, that's where God has you. And instead of just waking up and, you know, I'm punching in. No, you wake up going, hey, look, man, I don't know why God made me a good mechanic. I don't know why I'm a salesman. I don't know why I'm an attorney. I don't know why I'm a real estate agent, but I'm punching in because the sovereign God of the universe wants to use me today in this moment. And I don't know what it is he's going to do but he's going to do something. But once you get down here, and I know too many believers that live down here, it's just meaningless, man. Life's a bummer. Beloved, when you're living your life in accordance with the will of God, your life and your labor or whatever it is you're doing is not meaningless. There's great value to it. 
The second observation that Solomon made was this, is that nothing new is under the sun. He says in verse eight, everything is worrisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're just never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content, you know. History just goes on to repeat itself and all that. Why is it that mankind is always looking for something new? Why is it that we as human beings are always looking for something bigger or better or whatever? I remember as a kid, man, the greatest roller coaster on the planet. I mean, it scared the bejeebers out of you. Was, it was in Santa Cruz. Remember that one? Now that one's lame. <laughs> Only losers, losers go on that little, well, it doesn't even do anything. We got roller coasters now, man, that'll take you up about 3,000 feet. Drop you down backwards, man. Just going crazy, man. It's just unbelievable what we do. And you know what? As soon as we get the best roller coaster on the planet, then we got to figure out the next one because that one's not good enough. It doesn't go fast enough. I don't got enough G-forces against my body on that one, man. I remember as a kid, they, they, some guy thought of this one. He got on the edge of a cliff and there's about a 2,000 foot you know, drop off ravine down there. And he went, woo, and he bungee jumped. And I remember looking at that going, nah, nah, that's not for me. And then you heard about the first one, the first guy where he jumped off and it snapped. And I went, there you go. <laughs> there you go. That's why, I, that's why I don't bungee jump right there. See, I, I don't need to do that. And now it's just unbelievable that bungee jumping's like nothing anymore. We're always looking for the next thing. I, when I was sick, I, I, I ran across this dumb show. Anybody seen the show Mutiny? Come on, uh, there you go. It's a, it's a show, no joke. They had this a sailboat and they put like 15 guys on it out in the middle of the ocean and they said, you know, live. And they put GoPros all on the boat. These guys have been out there for months, you know, and they're all sweaty and bearded and they haven't eaten. And there's just, and the whole point is, is that, you know, there's gonna be a mutiny on this thing. And I'm thinking, why? Why, why would someone do that? This is weird. How many of you ever seen the show, and I hate to say I've seen it, Naked and Afraid? Ever seen that one? Hey, listen, anytime I'm naked, I'm afraid. But let me just tell you. Hey, let me just tell you. It's like somebody went, hey, look, Survivor is cool. Remember when they took people out to the island and you lived on an island and you tried to survive? They went, no, 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 that's lame. Now what we're gonna do is we're gonna put naked people in the middle of, of the jungle. Hey, look, you put anybody naked in the middle of the jungle, they're gonna be afraid. You can't help it. It's, it's just bizarre the things that we come up with to try to outdo you know, the, the next thing. We, we're, Solomon's right, we're truly never, never satisfied. We're always looking for the next thing. And unfortunately, in the culture we live in, it just tends to get more perverse and more perverse and more perverse. Warren Worsby said this. He said, everything that is in the world ultimately brings weariness. And people long for something to distract them or deliver them. And when I read that this uh, past week, it was actually two weeks ago, I understood the distract them but I really zeroed in on those last two words, deliver them. And I don't know whether that's true or not. That's not the word of God. He's just a godly man who wrote something. But I thought, you know what? I think for some people that is what they're doing. They're looking for something to deliver them from the meaninglessness of this life. 
How many of you remember that great song by the Rolling Stones called, I Can't Get No Satisfaction? That could easily be the theme song for human beings throughout all of eternity. If you're under the sun, if your eyes are simply down here on planet Earth, if you try to live from apart from God, there's ultimately no satisfaction. Oh, you can experience satisfaction for a moment, but that will end. And you'll have to look for the next thing. Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon answers the question as to why the things of this world can never ultimately satisfy the human heart. He says this in Ecclesiastes 3. He said, he, that's God, has planted eternity in the human heart. In other words, God has put within the very soul of every human being the desire to know him. God wants every human being to know the very creator of their soul because it's only when you know the creator of your soul and you walk with the creator of your soul and you live for the creator of your soul that you'll find true lasting satisfaction. In other words, you don't find it under the sun or apart from God. And the reason why I added to that, it's more than just knowing God. A lot of Christians, a lot of people, they know God. They know him. But they live life as though it were meaningless because they don't walk with him. They don't live their life in accordance to his will. So it's more than just knowing the creator. It's actually continuing to learn about him and living your life in accordance with his will. Now the third observation that Solomon made was this, is that there, uh, nothing is understood under the sun. Solomon worked really hard to think everything through. He had to have an answer for everything. The, the problem was he couldn't figure it all out. There were things about life that made no sense to him, and it really bothered him. I mean, here was this man who had been given the greatest you know, wisdom on the planet. And so he says, okay, here's the deal. I'm the wisest man that's ever lived. I am gonna make it my goal to know how everything works, why everything works. I gotta have an answer for everything. Sound familiar? But there were some things he couldn't find an answer for. God said this to the great prophet Isaiah, Solomon, put your own name in there, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine, Solomon. Or put your own name in there. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In other words, what God is saying there is this. You're not God. And though he's given us these incredible things, things called brains, and though we have wisdom and all of this stuff, there are going to be some things that you'll never understand because you're not God. Yes, there's a lot we can understand, but there will be some things you will never understand. I love what God said in Deuteronomy chapter 29. He said, the Lord our God has secrets known to nobody. Imagine that. That God would have things that are only known to him. Yes, he has let us in on a lot of stuff. 
But there are some things that he only knows. And then he goes on and says, we're not accountable for those. We're not accountable to the things that are secrets, you know, between him, you know, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we are, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of, you know, these instructions. You're not all-knowing. God is. And you will never be all-knowing. Even when you die and you go to heaven, you're not going to be in glory all-knowing. You'll know more than you know now. But there will never come a moment when you will be like God and be all-knowing. There will always be things about God that are a secret to simply Him, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if you're here or you're over in the vendor or you're watching online or listening on the radio and you're one of these guys that says, hey, listen, you know, there's just things about this book I don't get. And unless I get it, you know, forget it, man. Count me out. Okay. You'll be, you'll be counted out forever. You know, there's just some things about this life that just, you know, don't make a whole lot of sense to me. And until I have an answer to it all, then, you know, I'm not in. Okay, then you'll never be in. Because there are some things that you'll never be able to figure out. But God has given us enough. My faith in him is not some blind faith where I chucked my brain at the door. My faith in in him is based upon all of the truths that I find in scripture and I can look around and go, whoa, okay, listen, I may not have all the answers, but this just didn't happen. So let... So these are the, the three observations that Solomon makes. Nothing ever changes under the sun, nothing is new under the sun, and nothing is understood under the sun. And his conclusion to these three observations was that life was a, was a, was a bummer under the sun, apart from God. You leave God out of the equation, it is meaningless. It ultimately is empty. Now with this said, let me give you my ending thought here very quickly. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give them, you, a rich and satisfying life. And I think one of the ways that the thief steals and kills and destroys is by getting people to keep their minds down here under the sun, by getting people to simply live under the sun. The reason why some of you, you know Christ as your savior, but you feel lost or you feel like life is, is meaningless is simply because the thief is winning. Whenever a believer feels like life is meaningless, whenever a believer feels like, wow, you know, I don't get it, man. What's the point in all of this? The thief is winning because Jesus came to give you a rich and satisfying life. And if you don't have a rich and satisfying life, he's not a liar. Something's got haywire in your mind. Somehow your eyes have got shifted down here. And you're simply looking at things from a worldly standpoint. Colossians chapter three says, think about 
things of heaven. Not things of earth. Get your minds up there. Don't get them down here. Paul knew exactly what happened when you get your mind down here. He knew it was going to go down. That's why we got to keep our minds on holy things, godly things. We can't go on a vacation from church. We can't go on a vacation from reading and studying the scriptures. We can't go on a vacation from our Bible studies and all those things. Can't do it. Philippians chapter four says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. And when the God of peace is with you, you'll never say, man, life is just a bummer. Everything is just meaningless. Everything is just empty. But it begins with where you got your brain, where you got your mind. Man, the enemy wants to get your mind down here. Philippians chapter one, there's this great thing. Paul says, for to me, to live, if I'm alive down here on planet earth, is, is Christ. And if I die, that's gain because I actually get to be with Christ. Then he says this, if I am to go on living in the body, if I do got to spend time down here on planet earth, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. This is just beautiful. Paul gives us some insights into what was going on in his mind. He says, hey, look, if I'm going to be alive down here on planet Earth, if I'm going to walk around on the planet, sucking it on the air, eating the food, let me tell you something. My mind's up there. That's where it's going to be. And if I am down here on planet Earth and my mind's up there, I know what will happen. It's a benefit to those I come in contact with. I'll be a blessing to those I come in contact with because God has a purpose for my life. But the reality is, man, she would love to be with him. Torn between the two. I don't know which one to do. And that ought to be the attitude of everyone who names the name of Christ. Hey, look, you're all still here. You're all still living on planet Earth, right? And you got to say, okay, for me then, I'm going to live for Christ. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get my brain up there. Because when I do that, now I'm a blessing to those I come in contact with. I'm a blessing to those in the cubicle next to me. I'm a blessing to those who are in my foursome. I'm a blessing to those in my neighborhood. I'm a blessing to those that I do life with. Because I got my mind there. When you got your mind there, it's just way, way, way different. Now I want to give you a spoiler alert, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 12 says this. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. I've done a bunch of research. Been on this thing for quite a while. Here it is. Figured some stuff out. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. And that phrase, fear God, would be just a New Testament way of saying, walk with the Lord. Walk with him. Care about his word and his will for your life. Read it and study it to the, to the degree that you would actually obey it. You see, he knew. Solomon knew that 
looking at stuff down here under the sun, he concludes what we know. It's when you got your eyes up there that things matter. There was a song that we sang earlier in, in, in our gathering here, and it, and it goes like this. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you, and it is well with my soul. And let me just tell you something. We're all going to go through it all. Jesus was right. In this life, you're going to have trials and, and sorrows and bummers. Every one of us, we're all going to go through it all. The key is the third line. The key to how you go through it all is found in the third line. My eyes are on you. And when you got your eyes on him, it is well, it is well with my soul. You show me a believer who's going through it all, through it all, and their eyes aren't on him, <laughs> it's not well with their soul, is it? They're bitter and angry, mad at God, not coming to church, not reading their Bible, not praying, saying all kinds of crummy things. It's when you go through the things of life that you have your eyes on him. You're gonna go through it, we all are. But when you got your eyes on him, it is well. It is well. Don't, don't, don't take a vacation from the Lord. Don't take a vacation from his word this summer. You, you, you make sure you keep your nose in this thing, okay? Everybody stand over in the venue wants to stand. And so, Lord, uh, thank you for our time this weekend. It's been fantastic, Lord. I've just really enjoyed it. Enjoyed all the music. It's good to come and sing sacred songs. It immediately gets our minds on you. I'm thankful, God, for the interns that you brought. I'm thankful for all of those that come to serve. And I'm thankful for your word, God, man. Without it, we've got nothing to sing about, got nothing to preach about. There's no point in being here. Thank you, Lord, um, for your goodness to us. Give us a great afternoon. And I pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Hey, if you're visiting with us for the first time or second time, whatever, I'm going to be right here. I'd love to meet you. Okay, come on up here and introduce yourself if you're new. All right, blessings.